You are now listening to The Big Data Beard. This is our podcast where we explore the trends, technology, and talented people making big data a big deal. Hey folks, this is Corey Minton, and this is another episode of the Big Data Beard Podcast. And today we have uh, an interesting guest to talk to us about one of the biggest and most challenging areas of data science and big data today. He's the Chief Strategy Officer for Trifacta. Joe Hellerstein is the uh, is joining us to talk to us about why Trifecta has entered such an interesting market and their unique way of solving this data wrangling challenge. Joe, thanks for being on the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Joe, tell us a little little bit about yourself and uh, and how you came to be involved in this Trifecta thing. Happy to. Um, so I'm a computer scientist, and um, my day job originally is uh, being a professor at UC Berkeley in the computer science department, where I've been since 1995. And Trifacta was actually born out of joint research I was doing with colleagues at Stanford um, around 2010 or so. Um, and a couple years into that project, we realized we had a pretty commercially important piece of uh, research on our hands, and we went off and we founded Trifacta at that time. Uh, I ran the company, actually, for the first couple of years while I was on leave from the university, uh, and then uh, stepped back to the chief strategy officer role as planned after two years to give myself some time to return to campus and continue doing research. Very cool. So you've you've been at uh, in the hotbed of innovation in the Silicon Valley for a number of years. Um, what exactly were you working on with this this team from Stanford when you were the professor at Berkeley? Like, what was it that you were jointly researching that you felt like was uh, was worth pursuing and turning into a company? Yeah, well, we started out with the premise that uh, human-computer interaction and uh, data management research needed to come together, that we needed to provide better user experiences for people who work with data, that there were breakthroughs to be done there. We went off and we actually interviewed um, professional data analysts at a wide variety of companies and found that they were spending 50, 60, 80% of their time you know, cleaning up their data. They used terms like munging, wrangling, uh, manipulating data. Uh, they didn't even necessarily have sort of professional terms for it, but that's where they said all their time was going. And we felt that um, we had a path to making that significantly easier for less technical people and significantly more efficient for the people who did it for a profession. Interesting. So, so data wrangling, data munging. Help me understand where this fits in the overall kind of data science process. Because it sounds like obviously people are spending quite a bit of time on it. But where does it? How important is it to that that larger data science uh, approach? So it's sort of this inevitable process where you uh, start by getting data that you haven't seen before. You unbox it, so to speak, just to see what you got. So that in and of itself is a process and is interesting and time consuming, figuring out what data you have on hand, what are its properties, its distributions, in in what ways is it incomplete or complete? Um, Are there errors in the data and how do you detect that? So that sort of unboxing process is a piece of it. Another pretty big piece of it is the integration of data from multiple sources, uh, trying to bring it together in a way where you have uniform representation of the data. You can actually uh, join things up so that they have matching names and identifiers. Uh, you can align things in time. So that issue of blending data from multiple sources is also a big piece of the problem. Uh, yet another piece of the problem is getting kind of the granularity right. Are we talking about things on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a quarterly basis, uh, and trying to make sure that all of those sort of granularities are the same and are appropriate to your analysis. 
one of the things that we've discovered over and over is that even with, you know, quote unquote, clean or governed data, when you're trying to prepare it for a particular use case, you also end up wrangling it again because you're trying to pick out particular features that are appropriate to your use case, whether that's filtering the data, you know, re-aggregating it to a, to a different granularity than it started at, um, or just bringing in new data sets to augment the data you have. So it's something that happens at the very beginning of working with data, but it's also something that happens sort of over and over as you find new uses for data. So Joe, why is this data wrangling so difficult and so hard and so time consuming? Well, it's one of these things that sort of every case is a little bit different. Uh, and so what happens is that traditionally the way this was solved was you would write programs. I mean, in some sense, this is what programming is for. It's for finding custom solutions or expressing custom solutions to problems. Uh, but it's really frustrating to have to write a program just to get your data in shape. Uh, and so in some sense, what we were looking to do was to allow people who aren't programmers to have the ability to visually examine data and transform it into shape without writing code. Yeah, there's this trend. I see this across a number of uh, software and platform vendors around, you know, no code and low code capabilities, right? Where we start to take things that were typically very challenging, very, um, yeah, as you said, you had to create custom script, custom coding to solve those challenges. It sounds like, you know, one of the things Trifecta, it sounds like you're doing is really bringing that ability to create custom, unique data wrangling processes into more, you know, lower technical, more business users. Is that an accurate description? Absolutely, that's an accurate description. And there's been generations of work on this pro problem. Um, you can go back to the 1980s when the Macintosh first came out. Um, there were programs like LabVIEW that tried to say, you know, people shouldn't have to type code. They should be able to sort of drag units of code onto a canvas and connect them up with arrows. And you could sort of get these flows. And um, that was a pretty prevalent approach through the 80s and 90s for things like, you know, ETL tools. Uh, and really what it's doing is it's just a visual programming metaphor. So instead of typing a command, you drag an icon for that command onto a canvas. Uh, so at some level, it was still really programming. It was just programming with icons instead of programming with commands. Um, and what we're doing today is something that's really quite different, where we're using essentially machine learning and human-computer interaction to solve the problem, and we're auto-generating code through a process called program synthesis. So really, the programmer doesn't express the program at all. They just express some hints or features about what they're interested in, and a combination of that interaction and machine learning algorithms uh, generates code sort of de novo. Interesting. So the underlying technology that Trifact is using, clearly this is based on research that your team was doing both between UC Berkeley and Stanford, but is this something that was an open source project that you've, you know, you've sort of used the community to help kind of move forward or is this a fully commercial technology on its own proprietary stack under the covers? We began as an open source project. We built a prototype, launched it up at the Stanford Computer Science Department website. It was called Data Wrangler. Uh, within a few weeks of launching it, we had tens of thousands of users. And so we knew we were onto something. But we felt that this kind of very user-centric um, experience was the sort of thing that you really had to build a company to support. If you look at the open source community, building really uh, very rich visual interactions has not been one of its fortes. It tends to be uh, community efforts tend to focus on infrastructure. Uh, and so we felt that the right route to go was to get a team of designers and developers together and go ahead and build a commercial product. So today, Trifacta itself is a commercial product, but it is available in a free form in a variety of ways. Very cool. So 
the the concept here of you know data wrangling like bringing data from a variety of sources understanding how you're going to transform or you know use that data as it moves through this process towards you know machine learning algorithm development it feels like that's you know similar to what we did with etl tools as you referenced previously how how would you say tri- what trifacta is doing is significantly is it like is it significantly different from a traditional etl tool or is it is this a completely different challenge we're solving you know, it's some of the same functions and some that are different. But I think to begin with, the key differentiation is that the user is different. And we always say at Trifecta, you have to start with the user when you're looking at the problem. So when you're trying to enable a person who's not necessarily a programmer or an IT professional to be able to get their data into shape, think about someone who's a spreadsheet jockey or who's a BI expert. Uh, that person isn't going to write code. And so from a technical perspective, from an interface perspective, the user is very different than the traditional ETL user who is an IT person. Second difference is the data has changed. Um, back in the ETL days, you were mapping schemas. You had one relational database, a second relational database, and you were trying to take those two and you were trying to load a third relational database. So you spent a lot of time kind of dragging column names from one database to column names of another database, you know, possibly with some uh, transformations along the way. Um, today, we're looking at things like log files, JSON, um, you know, things that are stored in big data platforms, as well as relational sources and data that's coming out of applications like Salesforce and Marketo. And just the diversity of data, data types and data sources that you're dealing with is quite different. So the data has changed as well. And then finally, the use cases have changed enormously. So, um, you know, back in the ETL days, you were loading a data warehouse and there was this fiction we had back then called the single source of truth. And from my perspective, that was always a fiction, but today all the more so. Data is this sort of relativistic kind of artistic medium. People use data for lots of different purposes. Uh, you know, for example, take a, a web log for the marketing department. That's raw material to, to try to do customer segmentation. For the um, IT department, that's raw material to try to figure out how your operations are doing and how you can run more efficiently. You'll do very different things with your data. You'll actually view the data very differently in those different roles. So as we're starting to use data for uh, extracting value in a variety of different applications, um, that relativistic nature of the data requires the ability to wrangle it once for each different use case. Uh, And the notion of sort of a single source of data also goes out the window. So things have changed quite a lot, I would say, since the days of ETL. No, I appreciate that approach because one, I agree, use case is different. But one the area that, that I don't think we've we've touched on that if you have these use cases that have changed and you have the variety and the velocity of data changing so rapidly right over the last few years, that's where kind of big data comes from. The scale of how you deploy a, a tool like this has to be different than it was even, you know, four or five years ago. How is <clears throat> how is Trifecta dealing with the scaling of such a unique challenge and 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 scaling dealing with those growing data sources, growing data types, and then frankly, growing data use cases, how is Trifecta architecting and developing towards this cloud scale uh, deployment methodology? Well, thanks for asking. That's one of the things I worked on when we started the company. The original open source project scaled to as much data as you could paste into your browser's edit box. So that was not a scalable solution. A little bit of cash bound. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, So, you know, your clipboard only holds so much data. Um, When we went to do Trifacta, it was 2012 and we were thinking, gosh, we want this thing to scale up. Uh, We could scale it up either using these new cloud platforms or using the new big data open source platforms. Of course, back in 2012, the cloud really wasn't a place where enterprise 
enterprises were comfortable putting their data. But we had a sense even back then that we wanted to have limitless scalability for this stuff. Uh, and so we designed what we'd now call a serverless architecture for Trifecta. That term didn't exist at the time. But the idea was that this auto-generation of code we were doing using uh, program synthesis could generate scripts that we could then deploy in highly scalable data flow platforms. So when we first started, we were compiling those scripts down to uh, MapReduce in Hadoop. Um, but we had an infrastructure that allowed us to change with the time. So today we compile down to Spark on-premises. At Google, we compile down to Google Dataflow, which is their internal Dataflow. Um, up at Amazon, we compile down to their Elastic MapReduce framework. Uh, and Microsoft, we compile down to um, Spark. And so this ability to sort of have a simple, um, scalable, serverless infrastructure that generates code for uh, Dataflow platforms was part of what we built in when we started. So when you when a customer when when a user wants to get started with Trifecta, help me understand the life cycle of, you know, where and how somebody consumes Trifecta more tactically. Because I, I you said before, right? I, you know, let's say I'm um, you know, I'm tinkering and I and I want to try this product out. You said you have this free download, you know, version of it. But what does that life cycle look like from the time that I've hey I found that I think this tool might be interesting to me to now it's a bigger part of my data pipeline and process. Mm -hmm. Well, to begin with, uh, Trifecta is a cloud-hosted solution at this point for uh, most users, unless you're an enterprise on-prem installation, uh, in which case it just looks like an internal application. But you access it from a web browser, uh, and you uh, go to the you know landing page, cloud.trifecta.com is our free landing page, um, and you sign in, and then you can uh, start a project, and you can have it point to a data source. That could be a file you upload from your desktop. It could be that you're typing in your credentials to connect to a database whether that's a sort of an Oracle database on-prem or a cloud-hosted database at a place like Google or Amazon. Um, and you start pulling in data sources. Some will be structured, some will be unstructured. Um, and you almost immediately can visualize what's in that data uh, and begin manipulating it visually on screen in your browser. So, Joe, with, with technologies like this that really help democratize the data science pro process, Technologies like maybe even like data robot that democratize the actual modeling of the, the data. Where do you see the role of the data scientist as it is today being in the future? Well, I think one of the things that's uh, pretty interesting with data science is the way we're teaching it at Berkeley, certainly, um, still a very programming centric process, a lot of Python a lot of scripts. Um, and I think what we're going to have to see going forward is, um, first of all, a little more professionalism around the tooling. Uh, I think data science today is a little bit of a scraggly effort. Um, it's a lot of folks kind of banging stuff out. Um, so I think we're going to see more tooling and more systematization. One of the things you learn when you go talk to the um, big internet shops is they have built internal infrastructure to make that data science pipeline more managed, more governed, where you can keep track of versions of experiments, you can keep track of versions of training sets and code and models being deployed. Um, that sort of methodology needs to be tooled in a way that will work outside the bespoke solutions for individual uh, internet companies. And so I think places like DataRobot and Trifecta are showing what's possible when you do um, easy-to-use governed tooling for different stages of this pipeline. Trifecta at the data wrangling stage, DataRobot, which is a partner we work with quite a lot, at the model tuning and model selection stage. Um, and I think you know we'll see more people be able to come to the table uh, and work with these tools as a result. So there's a bit of democratization, as you say. But I think 
also for those of us who are professionals doing data science, it brings the ability to more painlessly govern our processes, keep track of the work we're doing, allow us to go back and say, what the heck was I doing last Tuesday? And what was that thing Sally did? I really want to go look at that. Those kind of collaboration and lifecycle management aspects uh, of the process, I think, are aided quite a lot by uh, good professional software. Yeah, we see a lot of that development, that, like you said, the democratization. But I, I actually think I agree with you that it is a scraggly effort. I like that. But I think one of the biggest things missing from data science today feels like it's that business acumen piece of it, right? Domain expertise. And I think if we give these tools like what you're doing with Trifecta into more folks who have the business, you know, the domain expertise, but maybe lack the skills on code, right? This this seems very interesting to move data science forward. And so I'm curious when we talk about moving moving forward, right? Trifecta and you and the team have built... Uh, a platform that is highly scalable for dealing with the the realities of you know data as it exists today. But as a strategy officer, I'm curious what's what are you looking at next for Trifecta? What are the big aspirational things that you and the team are working towards uh, to deliver to your customers? Well, one of the things we talk about a lot at Trifecta is this idea that stuff starts with the user. And so um, many of the things we're doing going forward are things that our customers are bringing us uh, bringing us into. Uh, and so, you know, we work with companies like Kaiser Permanente, which is in the healthcare space, um, with the Bank of Americas, with uh, folks in the finance space, obviously, um, companies like Pepsi in the retail and, and consumer packaged goods space. And they have just a wide diversity of use cases. And so it's pretty interesting. Um, one of the things that comes up, I'll just give you a scenario is a governance. Um, so compliance data, for example, in the retail industry, um, where you have to produce um, reports on how you came to the numbers you got to. And so in that environment, I think it's important, and we're working on this uh, regularly at Trifecta, to increase the transparency, the auditability, uh, and the governance of the work that's being done by these business folks you describe, who themselves um, you know, are not um, necessarily worried about data engineering. So how can you make it possible for someone who's traditionally working in a spreadsheet to do work that is auditable later on? And this is where I think some of that uh, technology we developed on campus is moving in directions we didn't expect. Um, one of the aspects of letting people play with their data visually, but then generating code, is that code actually serves as an audit trail and uh, data provenance of how you got your outputs. It's actually all replayable. It's uh, interpretable. You can read this recipe that's auto-generated by the user. And then you can even um, sort of play it like a, like a film strip, step by step, and see how the data changes through these recipes. Uh, and so increasing our ability to support um, explainable models, um, um, auditability of data, I think that's real important for us going forward and something we're working on. On the platform side, we're investing quite a lot in the cloud. As I said, we started out with kind of the big data space because that was happening in 2012, but we've invested enormously in cloud platforms. Um, Google brought us in two years ago and did a partnership with us where the Trifecta product is actually now part of Google's cloud offering. So it's called Google Cloud Data Prep by Trifecta. That's part of the Google Cloud platform. Um, and they fast forwarded our cloud strategy quite a bit. And so now we have a fully Kubernetes serverless deployment of Trifecta. And that's something that will continue to evolve and expand. It's quite strategic for the company. We'll have a, a number of uh, announcements about cloud uh, offerings just coming out even this month. Uh, so that's something we continue to work on um, because our customers are moving to the cloud. Uh, and that's something that you know just can't be ignored. Um, and then integrations with things like machine learning are something I think that's very interesting and quite honestly, relatively new. When we started the company, we had a lot of machine learning work on campus that I do with colleagues, um, but it really wasn't a market for a startup to go pursue. It was too small. And today that's changing very rapidly. 
Uh, one of the exciting things about machine learning is it's it's like empirical science. It's an experimental process. You try out a model, you change its parameters in a million different ways, and you see what works, and that's what you deploy. So it's a lot less like a, a design time kind of programming and a lot more like experimentation. So you have to manage the experimental process. You have to keep track of all the things you tried, you have to keep track of all the different ways you wrangled the data and pulled out features for the machine learning. And so those machine learning life cycles, I think, are changing the way we're doing computing. Uh, and that's another strategic uh, uh, challenge, I think, for the whole industry and certainly one that Trifecta pays close attention to. Interesting. So you, you talked about uh, in the kind of the first of those three kind of key development areas, and I want to dive in a little bit. So you talked about this idea of um, provenance and having reportability and governance around what did you do with the data? What did, where did this data come from and what are you doing with it and where did it go? That feels to me like something that would be pretty interesting to those organizations that are seeking to uh, deal with the regulations around GDPR. Help me understand how Trifacta's uh, uh, you know, capabilities might or might not help somebody that's trying to deal with the, the regulations around GDPR. Well, generally speaking, if you're trying to track the usage of your data and you want to be able to, to, to explain how and why data is moving through your pipes, getting from uh, your sources to the way it gets used whether that is uh, in compliance with regulation, um, you really need to have these end-to-end uh, data flows that cross systems. And so Trifact is a piece of this puzzle. I would say GDPR, obviously, for organizations is an end-to-end problem. Um, but I think Trifacta lights the way for how, how, to, how to think about this. Uh, I'll give you a concrete example. One of our customers does um, compliance reporting for the hedge fund industry. And um, they have to report to a number of different um, governing bodies in Europe um, how these hedge funds have been doing. In the past, that work was often done in spreadsheets. So spreadsheets are, you know, actually very powerful and appropriate interface for an end user. But A, they're destructive. You change data when you are manipulating a spreadsheet and there's no history kept of all the changes you made to the cells. B, the way that um, macros are sort of embedded in spreadsheets is very hard to untangle. uh, And so it's really difficult to take a spreadsheet and say what happened with that data. Um, When those folks switched to Trifacta, they got some of that visual experience they had with spreadsheets. But as part of that process, it was generating these recipes that really give you very granular lineage, not just the data came in and the data came out of Trifacta, but here are all the steps along the way of that um, of that data manipulation. And then that can be registered in a larger metadata repository that can be plugged into an end-to-end flow. So when you think about you know all the pieces of your data pipeline, whether it's the ingest pieces, the data wrangling pieces, the modeling pieces, the reporting pieces, all of those really need to report uh, in a diligent way what they're doing into a more centralized data context or metadata repository to be able to construct those end-to-end flows. So I think we try to be a very good citizen there and we integrate with a number of data catalogs and other solutions for metadata. Um, And internally we have this rich granularity of lineage uh, and I think we need to see more of that out of uh, all the players in the data pipeline hold hands and get that problem solved together. Very cool. So the, the other area that you talked about in your kind of your looking forward You've used this term twice. It's called serverless, uh, and you connected it at some point to this idea of Kubernetes and containerization. As in your role as a, as a professor and as you know, as somebody who's clearly right in the middle of this, help me understand what you mean by serverless. Because when I read serverless, I mean I read it as like it's almost like cloud. It's not that it's it's not that there's not a server. It's that it's somebody else's server. <laughs> help me understand how it's different than than that theory. Yeah, I uh, uh, you know. I, 
depending on my mood, I'm either uh, a little bit skeptical of the term and its marketing uh, or kind of an enthusiast because it's really, you can take the term in multiple ways. When I think about Trifacto, which is a product that we're building internally and serving up on the cloud to our customers, um, the way that I think of serverless is they don't have to manage any servers to run and scale Trifacta. So I think the simplest definition of serverless is that it's uh, the ability to not worry about your servers. You don't have to do any ops. Things will scale up as your workload goes up. They'll scale back down as you stop using them. And so you only pay for things as you use them. But you don't actually worry about that deployment and DevOps problem of scaling up and down. It auto scales. So the simplest, I think, synonym for serverless for most use cases is just auto scaling. Uh, and that's the sense in which I use it uh, when I talk about Trifacta. We've implemented Trifacta so that, particularly in the Google Cloud, for example, you um, just are paying for your usage of Google Cloud infrastructure. Uh, you don't really know or worry about how many um, Trifacta instances are up or how much you're paying for Google Dataflow. Uh, at, at, over time, you just pay for what you use. Um, there's also these serverless offerings from the cloud vendors, you know, sort of Amazon, AWS Lambda, for example, that's sort of the banner uh, thing. And that's a very specific notion of functions as a service, uh, FAAS it's sometimes called. Uh, and that's actually not the sense in which I'm using serverless today, but that's where a lot of the marketing hype is. Um, and over on campus, since you brought it up, we actually just wrote a paper, which is coming out in a little while, that um, kind of asks for more from the function as a service world. We're sort of saying, hey, if this is the beginnings of an ability to really program the cloud at scale um, and to open up the cloud as this massive computer for people to program, uh, we're going to need to do more than what function as a service looks like today. Uh, and that's a topic that's pretty separate from the notion of serverless, the way we use it at Trifacta. Interesting. In, in in all due respect, we, we respect marketers and what they do, but I think that they take a lot of what people like you and, and other technologists are, uh, are, are thinking and doing and, and maybe spin it a little bit in a dangerous fashion. But in, in, in light of that, I still want to give the, all of us some, some ideas of trends and predictions that we think are going to be coming next and where uh, all of us should be watching uh, this big data and AI ecosystem. So from, from your perspective and your seat, both as a, as a professor in this, in this unique, unique area of technology and as a, as a practitioner, as well as, you know, a commercial offering developer and, and guider uh, of, uh, of a software company, what are your predictions and the things that you're watching over the next 12 to 24 months that you think are going to be uh, really interesting for, for all of us in this space? Well, one thing I mean that we're seeing right away is that machine learning and AI is starting to get productized outside the you know big five uh, internet properties. Um, there is an ability now out in the field for people to develop and deploy predictive models and to use them to generate value. Uh, and I think that that's that's a the, it's the tip of an iceberg. So you can't really do a good job with this till you get your data engineering straight. And enough companies have their data engineering straight now that they can begin to play with AI. And so I think we're going to see a bunch of that happening at the uh, players in the space that have already sort of figured out how to do a good job with big data. Uh, so that's the next generation, I would say, of people working with big data as they can begin moving into predictive analytics and predictive uh, uh, modeling. That's pretty new. But the tooling in that space, as I say, is still pretty raw. I think DataRobot's a great example of a company working in that space. 
Um, but when you look at what's going on at a place like Uber or Facebook, uh, the, the tooling they have for that lifecycle management of machine learning is really quite a bit more robust. So I think we're going to see interesting things happening in lifecycle management for machine learning pipelines uh, that really hasn't happened yet. So I think uh, that's going to be a desperate need for these companies that are getting going with machine learning is to, to get governance and predictability around those, those development pipelines. And then on the uh, infrastructure side, I think serverless is, is uh, you know, however the term gets used, we're going to see more cloud deployment and we're going to see more companies that are asking to make the cloud a place where they can run code and worry about it less. And so more and more, I think, of the IT function of scaling and, and managing systems is going to be uh, uh, something we're going to try to automate. And there's going to be steps along that path that are going to be more or less functional and more or less hyped. But I think we will be moving down this path where you'll think less and less about where are my machines and how are they running and more and more about what's the program and the problem I'm trying to solve and where do I get the data that's going to help me solve that problem. So, Joe, for... The next round of aspiring founders out there, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to start their own tech company? Well, you know, one of the things that we did when we started, we talked to some friends, including the founders of Tableau and the founders of um, uh, uh, a bunch of database companies. And we got some, I think, good advice, which is if you're uh, a real tech person, um, the enterprise space is a great place to have an advantage. Um, technical differentiation is really important in a lot of enterprise software. And being, you know, a, a technology leader uh, can really give you a notable advantage in the uh, enterprise space. Uh, I think folks who go into the consumer space are dealing quite a lot more with things like brand and, uh, you know, blitz scaling and all these kind of things you hear about when you read about tech companies in the popular press. It's very often about the consumer side. And I think tech founders in particular aren't necessarily in a special position to succeed in the consumer space. So I really actually think enterprise technology is a great place for us to do deep computer science and really make a difference. So that's one of the things I talk to when I talk to folks, uh, you know, in computer science programs and things like that here at Berkeley. Very cool. Well, Joe, it's been really interesting to get your perspective on, you know, the challenges that Trifecta is solving, how Trifecta came to be, and where you're planning to take, you know, this concept of data ingestion, wrangling, and use for unique enterprise value. So we appreciate that, and I, I, I can't wait to see. Uh, I can't wait to get my hands on Trifecta. Actually, we're gonna we're gonna play with your free cloud offering and see if we can solve some of our own internal challenges. But I'm curious. Um, I want to shift gears here, and I want to have a quick conversation that we call Rapid Fire. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment, we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. How scared should we be of artificial intelligence? I don't think that's one of my biggest worries today. I'm not that scared about it. I think we should be more scared about what's going on with real intelligence and the way people are behaving in the world today. Uh, I think that's where all of us should be pretty concerned right now. <laughs> that's uh, very thoughtful. I tend to agree with you massively. Uh, what's the latest book that you've read that you'd recommend to our listeners? Uh, well, I'm a huge fan of Haruki Murakami, and while it's not one of his most recent books, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle is one that I just go back to over and over. He's got a brand new one called Killing Commendatore that I need to go read. Uh, so I'm a pretty big fiction reader, and that's what I tend to focus on. Very cool. What piece of technology is currently making your life worse? My kid's cell phone. 
<laughs> you know, I, we had that conversation a few times. Are you using any uh, any like governance uh, apps or anything to uh, to minimize their usage? We've tried, but honestly, no. <laughs> okay. So, what is your uh, your personal biggest money pit right now? My basement. Your basement. Oh, okay. You gotta you gotta dig in there. What do you mean your basement? <laughs> oh, we just got a little project fixing up the basement. But that's oh, okay, a, like a finishing it out. Pit. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. So is there any particular uh, TV show, Netflix, whatever that you're binging on right now? I just finished working through Peaky Blinders, which I thought was terrific. Okay. Excellent. That's the, that's a, that's a, is it a BBC show or something like that? I heard. I believe it is. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Okay. What's the next interesting place that you're going? Well, I'm going to a workshop down at Asilomar here in California in January. We're going to be uh, talking about trends in data technology. We do that every couple of years, uh, and we'll be talking about our uh, work on serverless there. Very cool. Joe, thank you so much for being on the Big Data Beard podcast. We look forward to uh, to following Trifecta as you continue to, to, to build this offering out at scale and uh, bring more value and data wrangling to the data science community in the market. Thanks again, Joe. Thanks, folks. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify. It would also be pretty cool if you reviewed us in your favorite podcast app. It really does help. Thanks for listening.